Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to Talking to Change, a motivational interviewing podcast. My name is Glenn Hines, and I am based in Derry, Northern Ireland. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Sebastian. Hi, Sebastian. Hey, Glenn. How's it going, man? Yeah, going well. So as we approach this now, as our this is our summer uh, episode and one where we are ex- extending our exploration of the cult of, of motivation living in different cultures across the globe. Today we'll be talking to uh, Tiffany Pickett about motivation living in New Zealand and more particularly the influence of, of the Maori culture, the ancient Maori culture on motivation living and vice versa. But before we do any more of that, let, let, can you remind people how they can stay in touch with us via social media? Absolutely. So any feedback, questions, comments, rates, and reviews, we're, we're always welcome to receive those. So ways you can reach us on Facebook, it's Talking to Change. On Twitter, it's at Change Talking. On Instagram, it's Talking to Change Podcast. And uh, any direct emails to us, you can use podcast at glennhines.com. And again, uh, just really would welcome any audience participation in those ways. So uh, Glenn, why don't we start with you then? What, what are some of the you know, key highlights for you from our conversation that we just had with Tiffany? Yeah, there's so many takeaways, but for me, probably the standout was the fact that Tiffany talks about the relationship between this ancient wisdom of, of Maori culture and the practice of helping using motivation interviewing and how motivation interviewing and the Murray culture, which is very visual in its in its in its language, and you know the for a lot of us, there's a lot of metaphor when we're helping people, and just how much uh, visualization is used in in the words that Tiffany describes to help us see things from a Murray perspective when he's describing the I suppose the philosophy that informs Murray practice or him now as a an individual who who sees the world through that lens using motivation interviewing. So the wisdom practiced through the integration. And what was lovely was the way he describes, you'll hear it in the episode where he says, it's not so much about trying to do one on the other, it's allowing both of them to coexist, that there exists this thing called Maori wisdom and there exists this thing called motivation interviewing. And it's it's how you let them both be at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was, uh, yeah, it's not about, uh, yeah, he put it, um, not westernizing mm. Maori mm. ideas or, or kind of Maorifying motivational mm. interviewing. It's mm. there are these two places that he comes from, uh, comes to his work mm. from. And um, yeah, they, they certainly coexist. Yeah. What about you? What did you take away? Yeah. So uh, there, there was a part there where we started talking about evocation and, he shared a story, one of many stories that he he had, which which added greatly to the to the episode. We think, but um, we got to talking about evocation, that the idea of viewing and believing in our clients as people who who have what they need already, and they're not broken, they're not missing something, uh, at, at least as a way to begin the work and to join them and to do that, that engagement. Anyway, that, that really kind of stood out and just kind of hearing how he sort of discovered that concept. And then the other, I'm, I'm always interested in the notion of self-disclosure and how much, how little the pros and cons of how we, or what we share about ourselves as helpers and, um, and Tiffany talked a bit about his own, you know, evolution with that, um, how it, 
how it's done in a way and offered in a way that's meant to aid in the engagement process. He talked a bit about the, the you know, the downfall of, of relying too heavily on self-disclosure. But uh, that, was, that was also a part that really stands out to me. Mm. Yeah. So a lot to take away from it. So let's just invite people to come along and have, let's have a listen. So here we go. Okay, so welcome, Tiffany. It's great to have you on the show today. So as we do with every of every one of our guests, we just want to start by asking the question, you know, tell tell us a bit about yourself and uh, your own journey in the motivation interview. Sure. Um, well, look, I'm going to introduce myself in, in my native language first. So, um, uh, uh, so I've just said the waves of Tehuki is my mountain, Waihua, which means fruitful waters, is my river, Kurahikakawa uh, is my subtribe, and Nati Kahurunu is my tribe, and Waihua is like the Marae, which is sort of the community uh, that I come from. And it's just the way that we introduce ourselves as Māori. It's um, always in relationship to the land and to the people because it's our identity. It's sort of who we are. And um, and I suppose, weirdly enough, you know, I was listening to some of the, the previous um, podcasts that you've done and it seems, you know, MI for a lot of people has had a profound impact on who they are and how they are. And I guess my introduction with MI was through Terry Moyers coming to New Zealand, turning up our treatment centre, getting all the staff on the floor and doing a value card swap with a, with a real issue. And she said nothing but just gave us the instructions. She didn't even do a debrief. We just had our own experience of that of a profound shift. Well, for me, I had a profound shift and I just knew this was a modality that I was going to relate to and that um, that it's got bang for buck. You know, I had a huge shift in the matter of an hour and a half of sitting on the floor doing those cards. And if I go back a bit further, you know, I was also a service user and many years ago and um, you know, I arrived at a treatment centre and we had our first group to introduce ourselves to the group and you know, they always ask that question, what brings you here? And, um, and Bill Miller talks a little bit about sort of these, some people have sort of profound paradigm shifts in a moment and I had one of those that got me to treatment. So I just said, I feel I've been led here. And the first thing I ever heard out of a counsellor's mouth was, you're here because you're a fucking addict, said just like that. So that was back in the good old days of confrontation in 1989. And that gave gave birth to, as well as um, that experience with Terry and and a lot of other people along the way, a real thirst and passion for MI. So that's sort of the genesis for me. Mm. Lots of uh, pieces there at Supine that you're sharing. Uh, thank you for that. And I, I guess mm-hmm. I'm just still thinking about your introduction, even just you saying your name. And, <laughs> and as we're trying to do with occasional episodes that are less about the nuts and bolts of how to do MI and more mm-hmm. about broadening our scope and trying to un- better understand MI through different lenses around the world, you know, just the significance of your name and all of the elements that are relevant to a name that that right there is a, a huge difference from myself here in North Carolina and USA, where I just say my name really without thinking of its significance or maybe even understanding what it is. And so just just even that as a, as a kind of lesson for those listening of like what it might mean to work with people from other cultures and, and to try to be as open-minded and and kind of ready for a surprise Mm. like, like Mm. that, you know? Mm. And interesting you say that, Seb, you know, five years ago when I was doing trainings in New Zealand, 
you know, there would always be an introduction round and you'd ask people just to, if they knew that's called their pepeha, which is what I gave at the beginning, then they were welcome to do that. If not, if they could, you know, just pick a place or somewhere they are identified with, then that was okay. In the last five years, whenever I've started a training, whether you're Māori or non-Māori, everyone does that now. It's become the norm amongst the health profession, and it's amazing to see. Like for me to have my culture honoured and our process of engagement honoured is just, it's, it's always uh, a, a privilege to, to hear other people um, find their own uh, meaning out of some of the processes that we have as market. Yeah, and the significance of, of what you're describing is that the, the, the introductions you're you're it's almost like your description of where of your sense of belonging of mm-hmm. of and, and the heritage of that. It's the, the lineage of your belonging. It's not it's just true. where I am now, it's where I've been and who I've been before I was this. And um and I, I guess one of the things is about today's episode is about exploring how does the the Maori culture and you're you're growing up in that, and then being introduced to motivation because again, it sounds like when you were introduced it, it was quite a profound effect on you, as as you've said, mm. as it has been for all our other guests. Yeah. That, what was it about MI that resonated for you, and how have you seen, you know, the significance of of that cult, mm. your culture, and in the in that marriage that you now have. Mm. Well, weirdly enough, I didn't grow up with my culture. I grew up in a very westernized world. Right. In fact, I came to MI before I came to my understanding of who I was as Māori. That came maybe four years after okay. my introduction to MI, and my mother uh, went back and found where our ancestry came from and, um, you know, and, and then took me down to where my ancestor was buried. And, and for me, it was one of those profound experiences of belonging mm. and uh, and and a beginning of a process of remembering who mm. I am. And so, and all through that too, the, the way of being that MI is, is threaded all the way through that. Um, like who I am today is in large, in a large chunk to do with um, learning how to listen, because that's not my natural state. Mm. Um, you know, I've, I've learned how to be empathic, and I've learned how to, um, you know, never miss a good opportunity to shut up, you know. And so um, those two, learning about who I am and learning how to be, which is what MI has been, um, helped me sort of teach me has been profound and you know and I belong to the community of MI as much as I do to my ancestral community and that's amazing you know, I feel like I've got an international family that I belong to and that's something that's really I know that's something really I've found very that's very well with who I am cultural it's all about sharing. It's all about generosity of spirit. It's all about the we, not the me. And, um, and yeah, so, so my journey culturally and my journey clinically with MI have, have all been about my identity. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. And, and I, you've certainly seemed to have discovered a quite a natural fit perhaps with mm-hmm. some of the, um, the elements of MI and, and then in your subsequent learning and, and kind of really uh, sort of deep uh, embracement, embracing of your, mm-hmm. of your culture of origin. And, and all started, well, maybe it wouldn't say all started, but one of the key points in your story there was this uh, experience in 1989, was it? When um, you mm-hmm. you were the, the first-hand recipient of good old-fashioned <laughs> confrontation. <laughs> and, uh, and, and But even then, it seemed like, and, and we've heard this in different ways from lots of people, that, mm. that there was something about either what they were doing 
in their early mm-hmm. efforts to try to help people or in, in your case, and we appreciate you being open with that is, is in, in your efforts of trying to receive help where it was like, wow, this just was not working for you. This wasn't the right fit. And yeah. so tell us a little bit more about, about that, those early days for you and, and kind of what, 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 what came about from that confrontational style? Well, I think initially what it gave me was an experience of what happens when I was confronted like that. And you know, this was in a group too. I just shut down. You know, I fight, flight, freeze. I just, I just withdrew. And, and I also had that experience of not being seen. And, and that, you know, because was, I was so excited to be in treatment, to have someone say, you're here because you're a fucking addict, was just, uh, it hurt my heart at that time. And so I never wanted to repeat that experience for someone else to invalidate who they were uh, because of my own agenda, because I couldn't let go of what's considered denial and all of those sort of terms recovery have that can be less than helpful. And that was one of the things I loved about MI, which was, you know, Bill was saying, you know, the concept of denial is a myth and it's a counsellor-driven behaviour, not a client pathology. And to me, that just made absolute sense. And, um, and that's not to say, too, I haven't, you know, I think I once thought empathy was common experience, so I'd just share my experience as a new counsellor without training, I might add. Um, it was sort of learning on the job. And once again, that changed, too. It's not about my common experience. It was about deeply listening to someone and deeply seeing them and, and witnessing them. And, um, you know, I, I think today, even today, I'm still a student. We have a saying in Māori that goes, kamati āriki, kamata tawira. And what that means is, while we sit in our chieftainhood, we sit in our studenthood also. And and I really love that. I'll always be the student. And just not to get too clever. Mm. And I think Steve said something about, you know, just, and I've, you know, I've had such a horrible habit of getting too clever. Um, so over the years, MY has taught me and I've learned how not to be the expert, not to feel good because I'm giving information, but it's really of no relevance to the person via it's just me feeling good about giving information. Um, so things like that, giving and not giving up to listen advice anymore, asking permission, those, and that's become in my life, you know, that's not even to do with my work, that's right across the board now. Mm. So it really is um, that, uh, a way of being that's now become sort of who I am and, and not perfect by any stretch, but, you know, work in progress always. Yeah, quite a profound, not instruction, I guess, but a profound insight to that idea of, you know, the the very ancient idea of the beginner's mind that, that in Maoriism mm-hmm. is there, that saying, like, you know, you're the chief, mm-hmm. but, you know, keep your mouth shut, you know, you're still, there's this person in front of you maybe here to teach you something. And yeah. when when I'm thinking back to what you said earlier on, what was, what was really quite powerful for me was when you said that that you were in a process of remembering who I am. And it struck, mm-hmm. and it struck me that in some ways that speaks to the spirit of, for me, it speaks to the spirit of motivation interviewing, yeah. which is the role of the practitioner, which is, to, it's almost like my job is to help you remember who you are because but on, they're, they're, whatever answers you need, they're already there. Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to listen you into change. And it's, it sounds like that's, that's the journey that you're describing, which is you have been learning to listen more deeply with curiosity, without judgment, without giving unsolicited advice, and in, in an yeah. attempt to help that individual find out or remember who, who they were when they arrived so they can get on with being that person. Absolutely, and 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 that's very much part of what uh, when you're talking about remembering it was um, how I came to that was I was uh, talked to one of our elders and I was really struggling, I think uh, learning the language, learning my language, 
And I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this. He said, oh, boy, you're not learning anything. You're remembering what's already instilled within you, mm. your language. Just let it wash over you and it'll come. And that idea of, you know, the intelligence, an acorn has that it's an oak tree and that we've got that innate intelligence. In Māori, we call it modi, and uh, which is your own unique your own unique vibration, your own unique shape in this world, your own unique influence in this world, and your own unique intelligence mm. that, that guides that. And so, yeah, those, that idea of trusting that someone else has got their own truth, that I don't have the answers for them, I might have some information that might be useful, but their inner guidance is always going to be what, more more profound. What I can do is give them a, uh, an experience of, as you said, was listening them into change. I've never heard that, but I liked it. I had a had a an expression, you know, helping others talk themselves into change, but actually, think listening others into change is probably a better description of of what I would do. Because there are times that I wouldn't say that I'm even evoking change talk or soften or, or softening sustained talk. I just feel like I'm doing my best to be a witness to their journey and 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 love that, yeah, that, that. and just watched over and over again how when someone feels seen and then let's say the other thing was i used to, i've worked a lot but like danny i worked a lot with the homeless over the years and these were the people that were often thrown to the curb they were considered in the too hard basket and so, so people were very reluctant to engage with them. And I, I used to love working with them. And, and it was just that. I thought, I loving people back to health. You know, and, and if, if it was, and, and having a sense of no expectation um, of how fast they might change, of their capacity for change, but just going, Man, you're here. Um, we've done our process of the momentana of, of I've told you a bit about me and you've shared something about you and and what's changed now that we've been through that process is you're no longer you're no longer a stranger. You now have the status of being a family member. Mm. And that's something that's really unique to Māori when I after our processes, and we do this, uh, they call Faka Phenomatanga, which is the establishing link. And I share something of who I am to give them an idea of the container they're going to place their trust in. Mm. There's a shift from unknown to known, unsafe to safe. And now you're part of my family, you are part of my father, that we've now had this connection. And that's changed my work profoundly. They're no longer clients, they're now family. And so they see it for me, I see them in a really different way. Mm-hmm. You know, I was often, and I'd often remember a couple of them, I'd get called Uncle Tips. And it wasn't, and it was just from a sense of radical acceptance. And they'd always surprise me with the changes they'd make and, and a sense of just going, man, you, you rock. You know, you've got all of these issues, complex mental health issues, complex cultural issues, um, marginalised by society, and here you are, and you're willing to place that trust with me in this container. And now as a as my phenomena, and phenomena sort of means extended relation, we get to walk a journey of caring, and that's been profound. Mm-hmm. And to adopt it and go, I'm not going to do the traditional counselling, counsellor-client relationship anymore. Once that process is done, you're now family. And it's changed my practice. Yeah. It's profoundly changed my practice. I want to come back to that, but you know, even an mm-hmm. earlier point that you made um, in, in kind of highlighting your comment, Glenn, about the MI spirit it, that you were sort of when you were listening to Tiffany, that the MI spirit was really coming to mind and, and to go along with that evocation in particular, it's like it, you know, a lot of these concepts are 
you know, at some level straightforward, you know, to, to ask more questions than you're talking or let the client speak more than yeah. you are. And, and yes. like, it can, it can get kind of, um, you know, mechanistic. And yes. I, I think the descriptions that you offered both from, uh, you know, from, from your point of view, from the, from this elder's point of view that you spoke about, it, it seemed to really capture like the, the, the place where you need to set your, your compass, I guess, yeah. your, your kind of heart set yeah. and mindset, like Bill Miller talks about a lot, but like, how does one set themselves in a place to, to evoke from somebody? One must start with that belief system that, that, that perhaps everything that the person needs is already inside them. Yeah, it may exactly. not, they might need, they might need something. They might need some advice. They might need some information. They might need some things that they're not quite sure of yet. And that's okay. But at least the starting point is Extended. one of you already know everything that you need. And my yeah. job is to see where it is, you know, exactly. Same. Yeah. But, um, so anyway, so I, I just, that just really struck me, uh, as what you were saying, but then the, the later point that you were talking about, it seemed to fit with this term of self-disclosure, right. And, and that's uh -huh. something at least from a, a sort of traditional Westernized view of, of helping professions, it's, you know, either don't do it or, you know, tread lightly and, you know, be very careful about what you share and, you know, things like yes. that. And, and there's, I'm not saying that there aren't good reasons for that. And, and it's, this isn't about it, whether that's right or wrong, but it, it really, yeah. another observation there is, uh, is like a very purposeful, intentional, yes. uh, early phase of the work that you do is to self-disclose that that is something that that's is part on. of it. That is. And then even, and then even to use the word family to describe, a client like that further, uh, further captures how different the helper client relationship is, uh, mm -hmm. from in, in your world. Absolutely. See, but look, as I said, it's not something I grew up with, but it's something that I seem to resonate with. Mm. And, you know, and when you were talking about self-disclosure, um, these, if, if it's okay with you guys, I'll give you a brief description of what would happen in a session to start mm -hmm. the session. Of course, what I think, what I've loved about the Māori culture is our process of engagement. So we're as interested in the celestial as we are in the terrestrial. So the unseen realms um, uh, are always where the first recognition goes. So we start sessions with karakia, which is a a way of creating a container of safety for all the energies seen and unseen. And once that, and then sometimes I'll ask my clients if they want to do that. Um, and some say yes, some say no. The next is a process called mihi mihi. And it's a process of acknowledgement. And so even before they've started talking, I'm going to let them know that they're a unique being. That they have something called mana, they have a unique influence in this world, that they are connected to, um, that they that they have relationships that are important to them, um, relationships to themselves, relationships to, to others, that they matter to other people. And it's a, a, a particular process of, I guess, acknowledgement. And, we, and mana is the word we use for a person's influence in the world. The other one is a word called papu. And Māori, we had sounds uh, rather than letters. So R, E, E, O, U, da, 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 da. And each sound had a genealogy to it. So when we put sounds together, they convey different layers of meaning. Now, tapu has two sounds to it, ta and pu. Ta means to inscribe or imprint like this in my skin. Who is the origin of the origin? And what that means is each person has a sense of tapu. Each person has the origins of creation imprinted in their DNA. Is what the, is a, a, one of the meanings of tapu. And I'm going to acknowledge that, that they are absolutely 
meant to be there. My mum had a cool way of putting it. She said, oh, it's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. You might be the most infinitesimally small piece, but without your piece, that jigsaw just isn't complete. And there's a sense of that acknowledgement of another as their absolute inherent right to be here because they make a difference. And that gets acknowledgement. And then the next process is that phenomena that I did at the introduction, where I'm going to let you know where my my people come from, what area of New Zealand. And maybe in doing so, they're going to go, oh, I, I relate to that. I've got some people who live up there, or my family comes from up there, and they start to make links. And so all of this happens sort of in the first um, sort of 20 minutes, half hour of a session. And, and in doing so, um, they've, got a, they've got a sense of who I am. You know, and I do ask them, you know, is there anything you need to know about me that's important? to feel like this container is safe for you. And, um, and I'm, always, um, I'm always amazed by how powerful those processes are to, to settle the energy. Often, as soon as I start a karakia, ooh, the person's really elevated. As soon as I start doing it, they'll, kia tauterangi mari, their presence will settle. Um, and then sometimes I'll do a, a waiata or a song. And once again, it gives those people just an opportunity for their, uh, their nerves or whatever's happening for them to settle. And I've seen it over and over again. It's that sense of the power of sound to settle. So, And then, of course, we offer a cup of tea because a cup of tea is what ends that process of you're, now, you're no longer unknown to me. You know, we, we have a sense of uh, a little bit about each other, a little bit about where we come from. Um, we acknowledge that we each make a difference in this world. And food and a cup of tea means the process changes and the state of being between us is no longer one of constriction, but now one of freedom. I'm, I'm safe to you. I'm, I'm a bit known to you. I'm no longer unsafe, no longer unknown. And so this whole process is about a change of state. And, um, yeah, once again, I'm always amazed at, at the end of that process, how connected I can feel. And they don't even have to be Māori. You know, I just share a bit about me. They don't have to be Māori for that to occur. And there's just something really beautiful about it. There's something really powerful about it. And when I saw that MI, you know, the first process is engagement, I thought, oh, look, I've got to take, find some way of taking this process that we have to a bigger stage because I think there is some merit or some value in that for, for those who feel it, that resonates with me. So that's a lot, folks. I know I've, I've, I've talked a lot there, but that would be, that's really important, that process. Mm. And and you're right about just that it is a lot, and 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 I guess there's a, there's our, our audience will be processing so much of what you've just said because what strikes me first of all is just how beautifully visual your language is, and uh, uh, and I, that's also true. I, I'm, I'm learning Irish, or what's interesting, yeah, I'm, I'm, what what probably what's true now. I'm gonna I'm gonna reflect on this definitely. I'm remembering yeah. Irish. I'm gonna remember yeah. Irish. So. It is also a quite a visual language, and and the words describe the relationship with the environment, and mm. and you know just that. It, so in many ways, what I was listening to there was, was almost like a philosophical paradigm that that you create that 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 informs how you are as the chieftain when you're with one yeah. of one of the villagers exactly. that happens to be who is your responsibility. And that you're going to care for, yeah. and that, but the understanding is that they already have what, most of what they need, and you're going to help them draw it out. And and mm-hmm. and what's so important was the the importance of the creating the safety, and how many times you mentioned the idea of being the container, of creating mm-hmm. the container on in which you're going to put something, and we're going to work with it together and. And I'm going to hold this for you. Yeah. And um, so 
and, and an awful lot of people will recognise those terms from other psychological approaches. But again, mm. it's recognising just how important it is and how ancient these concepts are. Yes. That this is this is about human relationships and that that one person can hold the needs of another person while they work it out for themselves. And that uh, that there's trust and there's relationship and that engagement process that you were describing there, which was, you know what, this is not something I'm going to turn, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do to you. I'm not going to start my conversation by telling you you're a fucking addict. Now get yourself in <laughs> Because you, start, you started the day by saying that when, when that individual did that to you, chances are their intentions were positive. They mm-hmm. wanted to help you be well. But it, it, in many ways what it is, it pushed you further away so your recovery took it took an extra step because of that experience, and I guess that's what all of us have to remember that you know that there are positive, uh, there are negative as well as positive helping experiences that that we can create for our clients, and we have to be careful what it is we say. You know, it's uh, the, uh, that that idea of be careful, be careful what you say. You be careful you tread on my dreams. You know, to be careful what you say about me because this is me, and you're going to leave an impression. And it sounds like what you're doing, which is consistent with motivation, which is saying, I'm going to make the I'm going to make the decision that when I speak to you, I speak to you with compassion. I speak to you with consideration. I accept you for who you are. And it's in that environment that who you can possibly be can begin to manifest. And my job is to to keep the garden watered and plant of heat and enough light and let whatever's going to grow and invite you to decide which plants you want to, to be there. I'm going to notice plants growing and invite you to notice, is this what you're looking for? Is this who you're supposed to be? And with that in mind, then how else have you, what else have you been doing as you, in your ongoing journey in the development of learning motivation and, and your ongoing remembering of of Maori culture, how else have you seen these these two things, Maori, and how have how has one influenced the other for you? Nineteen, I attended a um, a workshop by a carver, and his wife is a psychiatrist, and he has all our old narratives of origin. And at this workshop, when I got to see that these narratives of origin could give a they could give a mirror for self. They could give a way of uh, people accessing uh, different types of energies about themselves. For example, the energy of curiosity, the energy of determination, the energy of uh, creativity, the energy of objectivity. And all of these elements and these qualities are in different characters that make up these narratives of origin. And so, and for me, I thought that would be with the way that MI shapes a conversation for change. I could see that there would be use if I was to maybe ask permission from someone and say, "Hey, look, I've got a, I've got a story I'd like to tell you that might relate to your change. Would you be okay if I told it?" And usually, I draw it too because we're very visual people, Māori, and, um, and they would start to relate their change to themselves through the story. And often it would be very strength-based, very uh, affirming, and give them maybe some sense of clarity about what their goals were. Um, and about the different aspects of themselves that they could draw upon, as well as their uh, environment and community that they could draw upon. And the more that I started, so I basically gave it a shot and thought, oh, I'm just going to see how we go. And, and once again, my practice changed. And now I, alongside motivational interviewing, I tell stories. And, but always with permission. If they didn't want to hear that story, then, then that's really okay. And uh, and the same um, the same elder, you know, I'd asked, I actually asked him how he saw motivational interviewing and 
Maori uh, tikanga, sort of ways of being and ways of systems of healing. And he said, well, tikanga Maori has its own whakapapa, it's a genealogy, it's got its own mana, it's got its own influence when you use it well. I'm sure motivational interviewing has its own whakapapa and genealogy has its own influence just allow each to sit in their own influence rather than try and overlay one on top of the other. That was profound. And again, just those words gave me a sense of, oh, that's right, I don't have to Maoriify one or Westernify the other. I can just allow each to sit with the influence that's going to help that person talk themselves into change. Mm. So use of narratives of origin has become part of what I train. And it's and in New Zealand, that's now uh, that's that would be where the training is going. It's no longer just about MI, but how can we utilise that amongst systems of healing of Māori as well? So I feel like I'm the living representative of my own journey of having those within me. I now get to express in my work, man, and that's pretty cool. But. <laughs> mm. Well, and one thing that I was curious about, since we we had been talking about the MI spirit and different components of that, and how that has kind of surfaced in both in your work and in your journey, your cultural journey, um, is the concept of change talk, which, as yeah. many would know in our audience, is is like that's sort of a lot of what our conversations are structured towards is being curious about the prospects of change for the other person and how they might do it and this and that. It, it struck me yeah. that that use of, uh, the, the, um, what was it? The narrative of origin. Is that how you phrased it? Um, as it, and getting back to my curiosities about self-disclosure, that that is a way that you invite somebody else to consider or to think about, their own change process is by sharing your own with permission, of course. Uh, and that that is a way, one way perhaps of evoking change talk. Is that, am I hearing that correctly? I believe it's not so like I used to disclose about my story and what I noticed was the focus target started to become more about me than about the so the narrative of origin is just this story and they get to make meaning of it how they want. So I do, I'm not so much disclosing my personal story, but they're making meaning of their change through these stories. Um, so the self-disclosure comes from that process of creating connections in phenomena and that's where I'll disclose, that's where I usually disclose a bit about myself um, and that I've had a service journey, uh, service user journey in the past and uh, along with my connections to my ancestors in the land, Māori, um, asked them, is there anything about, is there anything that they is important for them to know, for them to feel safe? And for the most part, people the most common one is, have you been through this? Because I've worked in addiction, so that's always the most common, is have you been through this? And I know that you know you don't have to go through something in order to be able to convey empathy. Um, however, I did remember the research saying people attribute trust faster if they know that you've had that similar experience. However, I've seen some counselling that and, and listen to recordings that I've been coding of counsellors who were attempting to use their story to persuade someone to change. And it just never goes well, you know, it just feels wrong when you hear it. Um, so I think back in the day, that's what I was doing, I was trying to persuade them with my story. And if you just hear my story at the right time in this right space, you'll have your aha moment and you'll get it and you'll have that profound shift. And, and it's in the occur like that. Um, and so Pūrāko, or these narratives of origin, 
have been a way of uh, of a person being able to externalise who they are through the character in their stories, and that's been very, very powerful. So more less about self disclosure now, more about the power of the narrative of origin. Does that make sense, to Tim? I don't hope I've sort of answered that. Yeah, so the self well, it, sorry, Sabi, go ahead. Well, um, so the narrative origin isn't necessarily your own personal story no. of, of change or overcoming things. Okay. No. It, it is it is like yeah. a story about change, not necessarily your story about change. That's spot on. That's one of our ancestors' stories. We we had so because that was, you know, we either carved our language into trees which is where the word pūrāko, pūrāko is the name for narrative of origin, and pū means sound, and rāko means tree, and each tree had, uh, and so uh, because we carved our stories, our language, pūrāko means the sound of the story of the tree. So we carved our narratives of origin into our meeting houses, into everything around us, um, and they were passed down as an old tradition. And the guy who I learned of, that's how he learned from his grandparents and great-grandparents. He was around these stories and and was fed them because he was really interested and then became a carver and would carve these stories. And so when his wife, the psychiatrist, um, said, oh, look, I think there's some real value here in these narratives of origin, this Purako, in a therapeutic space, uh, they just, they decided to uh, do trainings to help people become uh, more confident in using these narratives of origin in a therapeutic space. And so I'm very grateful in 2019 to have uh, been um, the recipient of that training because it changed, once again, another shift in my practice occurred when I saw the power, not just our process of engagement, but our narratives of origin also. And once again, it didn't matter whether you were Māori, non-Māori. I've used those hūrāko, those narratives of origin to facilitate conversations of change and generate change talk um, over and over again. It's just part of my practice now. And so they fit really well together. They fit really well together. Yeah, and and as I'm sitting listening to you, it, it, it comes back to that, um, that. I guess a lot of us are going to be doing the very thing that I think that that story of origin invites your service users to do, which is that this, it's almost like you're describing a third party experience of recovery or a third party experience. This is, let me tell you a story about somebody else. And, but yeah. embedded in the story is things that you imagine or you understand that are going to come up in their story or they might be challenged with their experience. And so first of all, you're saying you're normalizing some of what it is they may need to talk about in advance of them talking yeah. about it. So you're, you're yeah. opening the space to say, look, if you're going to talk about this stuff, don't worry. I've heard it's this stuff before. Um, yeah. And so that it won't be, it won't shock me if you want to talk about this, but at, at the same time, again, it's just, it's almost like you're painting the background and just asking someone to say, well, what do you see here? And then whatever it is, they, whatever it is they describe, that's the material that you work with. That because this is them projecting or this is them uh, describing what, where they fit in this landscape and where they see themselves and, and their relationship in this big story. And, um, you know, it's, it's, why? Why am I? Where am I taking myself here? I, I wanted. I wanted to explore something with oh. you in particular, but it's just that. Well, I've got something okay. bad just there. If that's okay, okay sure. and that was because you you triggered it off, and I wouldn't have shared it if um, you hadn't said what you said. The MI component partly comes in that I structure the questions in such a way that it generates change talk. Like, which of these characters do you most relate to? Which of these characters do you think would? Um, be most helpful in your journey of change and they're not you know the importance and confidence rulers get weaved in there and if you were to take a, a step towards your vision of change what might be an action you might take depending upon you know what they give but i've got a series of questions 
that structure there. And I think that's what I've loved about EMI. You know, and I love those imports and confidence. All that's just been, you know, those things have been my bread and butter for years. Just, and they're so powerful. So, they just Marty, just, just telling the story on its own without shaping that conversation intentionally in the way that MI does through the use of those structured open questions and the use of reflections. I'd never get the same change occurred if I just did one and I'd just be following them I think in their story rather than sort of coming to a guiding I'd have a following style and that feel deeply heard but <laughs> but we might not have developed any focus particularly whereas those questions you know what's what's your hinatoli which means mm. what's your point of light that's shining in the future that you see tell me about mm. um and those sorts of questions that help focus that um, I can use it in the invoking phase. And I weave the importance and confidence rules through those as well. And that has, that's when the magic happens when mm. you're using both of those together mm. and just weaving in and out of both. Mm. And it sounds like the consequence of that is, is that it allows you to express the wisdom, which is an, the yeah. invitation. The wisdom is the invitation to them to discover, but the, what the yeah. MI has offered you is that structure as you describe it, which is, you know, tell yeah. you know what is it about that character and get them to go into the detail. And there's the change talk, and there's the more That's detail it. that they can go in. There's them talking themselves into change. There's them. There's them remembering who they are. There's them remembering mm -hmm. who they can be. There's them working toward achieving that for themselves. And it sounds like that's what MI has really added to this wonderful journey that you've been on in relation to your Maori yeah. culture and and how old and profound this is, yeah. but how familiar and connected it is to this much more modern yeah. psychology of motivation. Yeah. And again, what's beautiful about what you said is recognising it too has its history. It too has its connection to the land. It's exactly. too, it's, it, has, exactly. it, it can be traced back and... And it's not about trying to force one on the other. It's about letting them both sit and resonate. Mm. And it sounds like you have found a way of having them resonate in a way that allows you to get the best of both of them when you're with yeah. the people you're with. Absolutely. Ben. I think it's just been a reflection of my own journey. You know, I remember somebody saying remembering is it's putting back together. The remember is to, is to put things back together. Mm. And so you're very much that process of, of remembering who I am. I've always been amazed at the timing of who comes into my life to share their knowledge, to share their wisdom with me. That's helped me remember myself a little more deeply and um, and also give a sense of purpose to my journey around my work with those in a therapeutic setting. You know? and, and so the the union of, of, or the relationship, the partnership of MI and, and Māori and our processes of, of, of engagement and our narratives of origin um, have, and it's, I, it went, something was going somewhere and it's just gone. Mm. I'll have to just let, it'll come back. Um, it'll, Yep, no, it's just gone. I've gone a blank as to where that one is yeah, so, going. So it's fitting with what you're saying. It's allowing yourself to trust the process that yeah. if it comes, it comes. If it goes, it goes. Try not to force it. Keep it simple. Work with what's in front of you. Um, and I guess for a lot of us, that's that's quite a profound invitation. You know, the idea of, of people listening to this episode going, you know, you've been invited to remember who you are, not to yeah. discover, not to discover yeah. who you are, simply to remember who you are, and yeah. that that when we go, through, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's it, it's it's not that. So for a lot of us, a lot of us, we think we're growing into our lives, and what you're yeah. describing is is that you know you're growing from your life. It's you're That's you're one. here to remember, not here to find out, um, and exactly. and who you mm. who you can be is already. Is already true, and whoever that like, I, and I, and I guess for an awful lot of people, particularly the people that we will meet in our treatment, 
is that their core belief is that who who they are is bad or negative or yes. critic to be criticised, and that's not some. That's not. I don't want to remember if that's the if that's the invitation. I don't want to remember. But yeah. implicit in what you're saying is is that this is from a strength again consistent with MI. This is from a strength based view. Who you are yeah. is wonderful. Who you are is beautiful. Who yes. you is fantastic. You are a you are a jigsaw in the universe, and the universe is a, is, is 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 beautiful. It's and, and what you're an a part of that. Someone, what an affirmation to give someone. Yeah. Like I thought about you know that process of mihi mihi is a process of affirmation. Mm. Yes, you're exactly. You matter. You belong, and you make a difference. Mm. Yeah, and at at this moment, it, as we're, it seems like we're kind of expanding our lenses again. I, I, I'm curious to go to narrow in on something that you said. Yeah, so sure. I apologize for it. it you uh, you seem to get really excited about your um, your use of importance and confidence rulers as mm-hmm. a particular mm-hmm. kind of strategy or particular skill that that you employ in a lot of conversations and and yes. we haven't really talked much about the ruler questions in our episodes yeah. and so i i just thought it'd be great to hear your perspective on it both both within like like a, a brief summary of what the purpose of those questions are as as you understand them and then maybe yeah. talk a little bit about how they fit within from, from a cultural perspective yes sure so I think why they work really well was it was a profound, once again, it was one of those profound awakenings that MI gave me when it said importance by itself is not related to change. It's, you know, it's, and that was like, oh, oh, so what else is? Uh, and, and to know that importance and confidence together have then a relationship to change was... Uh, was a, a, a new awareness for me and made a lot of sense. It just made sense that if somebody's high in importance, but man, they've got a bit of helplessness and, and low in confidence, then they're going to really struggle to change. Um, and if I can work in a way that has them uh, talking about, you know, uh, and the way those, structure, those questions are structured by, you know, somebody says, oh, look, I'm a six out of 10 in confidence. And they say, oh, well, what makes you a six and not just a three or a four? And they start to talk about why it is that they're confident. Um, I, I think when I first came across them, Seb, I was just astounded at how simple the structure of those questions were. And because I'd been brought up in a solution-focused world that said, you should go, you know, tell me why you're a six and not an eight, because that's what I'd been trained to do initially. Um, This made so much more sense and had a rationale as to why you would ask questions in that way. And for me, that was also one of those profound moments that just, once again, it was just common sense. It was common sense to ask the structure of questions by asking a number lower. Um, and my experience of working with Māori um, is, for example, they might relate to certain strengths and uh, these characters and these uh, narratives of origin. And a reflection might be something like, you know, sounds like you've got, a real curiosity about where you want to be in the future and you can really see that that's possible for you. I'd be really curious to see uh, how confident this. I can certainly see how important it is. Tell me where you'd be on a scale of one to ten. One not confident, ten supremely confident about this vision you have of being a different you. And so that might be, that would have been weaved, that sort of might have been just weaved into a conversation where we've been talking about some of the characteristics of these uh, Pudaku, these narratives of origin, and then I'm going to 
use that by reflecting back that this is important and then moving the conversation very strategically towards building their confidence. So I hope that gives the sense of that's how it would work when I'm doing it, Sid. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was great. I appreciate the, the, the sort of brief overview and then just some of the specifics and weaving them into the narrative origin. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, Glenn, I'm just keeping an eye on the clock here and uh, thinking we might start to wind down. Any other MI-related no, questions? I, 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 again, just reflecting on that great question you asked, Tiffany, just around the readiness ruler and just recognizing how that we ha- how little we've spent how little time we've spent on this really quite powerful tool and uh, quite without a doubt. and really quite powerful concept which is recognizing wanting to change and changing is not the same thing needing to change okay. and changing is not the same thing and that okay, uh, giving people simply giving people information that we hope will change their mind to change may in itself help them with the importance why you know if i if, oh my goodness if i don't stop smoking i could could die but it's also recognized that other very important ingredient which is the self the self-efficacy or the self uh, as you describe it the confidence and how many of us as practitioners could um really understand those two those significant ingredients in the yes. in the cake called change is it important enough yeah. and are they confident they can succeed because human beings don't like the taste of failure so the easiest thing to do is not start uh, so so i really appreciate you bringing that up and, and certainly uh and, and seb and i may have to step 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 back and think about maybe that's something to go and have a conversation with some people around mm-hmm. uh, just just the tools maybe of, of the mi practice so, yeah. thank, so thank you for that, definitely. So as Seb says, as we come to the end, we usually ask our guests two questions at, as we come to the end. The first <laughs> one is, you know, other than what what else is happening for you in your life that may or may not be MI related, but something that's catching your attention at the minute that you'd be All happy right. to talk to us for a few minutes about? Yeah. So one of the things that, um, well, because MI is about the language of change, um, Māori is all about language and vibration and particularly vibration and I think language is vibration. I remember that guy, I can't remember his name, who did the, the um, rose crystals um, after putting love or hate on a glass or using sound and, and they would, the water would uh, form crystals and some would be really malformed but if they had love and and compassion that crystals would be very what's the word symmetrical and so for Māori our water is a really important part of our way of being and my I suppose my wonderment is and there's probably research around I just have been a bit lazy to go look for it is how does language change your physiological chemistry of the waters inside you and I'm a great believer in that sort of law of attraction. And the idea is, once again, it's about focusing your intent and thoughts in a very intentional way towards um, towards healing states that are high or or raising your feeling states. And I would be really interested to see if there's a relationship between some of the concepts of the, what they would in pseudoscience call the law of attraction, which I subscribe to, it seems to work for me in my life, and motivational interview. And does the language, this change talk, if people have people feeling better, and in them feeling better, they start to have experiences of cooperative incidences, you know, start to occur around them when they as they start to change people come into their life or someone will say something or other things happen that start to then support their narrative of change and i'm really curious about that and i've got no answers but i've got a curiosity about it so yeah yeah. well i'm just saying it you know it, it speaks to uh part of 
I guess the idea that MI is, while it's fairly well established and, you know, over a thousand randomized clinical trials or maybe not that many, but a lot of randomized clinical trials out there, there's a lot of unanswered questions and in, in a lot yeah. of ways our understanding of how MI works or why MI works is in someone's at it and in its infancy. Like why would change talk in an office with a professional then lead to people making profound changes in their life uh, yeah. or not and what gets in the way of that. And uh, your, your ideas are a possible um, explanation for that. Maybe something to, yeah. to be looking forward to in the future. Um, the other question that we ask towards the end is if you would be interested in our audience reaching out to you for follow-up sure. questions or other things. Yeah, absolutely. If so, how, what would be the best way for them to contact you? So uh, emails are a really useful way. So it's um, tpnet, T-I-P-E-N-E, packet, P-I-C-K-E-T-T, double O seven at gpl.com nice <laughs> and I look at if people wanted to get in touch and have a conversation or spark some interest in them uh, look I'd be more than happy to to um, have people reach out and, and uh, have a conversation for sure excellent thank you company and um, you mentioned the, the the individual who did the study with the water my understanding is his name mm-hmm. is Masuru Emoto. Uh, Emoto, that's yeah, Masuru Emoto. Yeah. yeah. So again, outside outside what for many of us Western scientists think of in the world, that there's evidence to suggest that there's something other than what we think there is. And today's episode has been a, has been a wonderful invitation for us to step outside of that for that that idea and see. Look, there was there was something before this. And it's as it's as old as as the Maori uh, people, and it's and and it's it's that's true across all cultures. You know, I've just come back from uh, Morocco, and there's a Berbers, and they were there before the Arabs, and they have their way of thinking. Here in Ireland, we had the Celts, and before that, you know, it's you know, it's and it's it's allowing ourselves to go. What did what did they know? How how did they deal with you know with that unruly teenager? You know how did how did they manage that? How did how did they deal deal with the unwell? How did they deal with the unhappy? How did they deal with grief? How did they deal with someone who discovered that if they let their apples sit for a couple of hours, it turned into alcohol and it got them fast? If they let if they let their potatoes sit for a while, it made moonshine and 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 they got drunk. Uh, and just to understand why why did they choose that, you know why did they choose that? So um, uh, a, a very very interesting conversation for us today. So um, on behalf of everyone, I want to thank you again, company, for your time and for sharing with us your journey and what you, you've discovered and your wisdom. So thank you for that. Thank you, guys. A pleasure and a privilege, and feeling very um, very honoured and very humbled. Thank you. Right. Well, we appreciate it, Tiffany. It was uh, it was great talking with you today. Uh, thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.